0: Welcome to the Bovine Ontario Animal Health Network Q2 update. I'm Dr. Cynthia Meltenberg, co-lead of the Owen Bovine Network. We have a couple of quarterly highlights for you today, including an overview of a recent project completed by the Owen Bovine Network on disease testing in newly purchased animals and an update on diagnostic lab data. Joining me this morning is Dr. David Renault, an assistant professor and veterinary epidemiologist in the Department of Population Medicine at the Ontario Veterinary College. Thanks for joining me today, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cynthia. Today we're going to discuss a recent project that the Owen Bovine Network completed. And For this project, veterinarians had the opportunity to submit blood samples collected from beef or dairy cattle that were purchased in the previous 12 months and were over two years of age to test them for a panel of diseases. And these diseases included Salmonella Dublin, Yoni's disease, bovine leucosis virus, and anaplasmosis. And the reason we wanted to do this project was we wanted to facilitate the testing of high-risk cattle prior to their introduction or following introduction to new herds to improve farm management and biosecurity decisions for producers and veterinarians. And we also wanted to increase surveillance for two emerging diseases that we've been seeing in Ontario, Salmonella Dublin and Anaplasmosis. So Dave and I are just going to discuss some of the findings from our project today and what we learned. So Dave, maybe you can start by telling us um, what we know about the cattle that were tested in the project.
1: Sure. So we had uh, 321 dairy cattle that were tested as part of this project that were from 56 different dairy farms around Ontario. And typically the the animals were tested about 95 days after they arrived to the specific farm. They're around three years of age, on average, we did have a range from two years of age all the way up to nine years of age. And when we look at the where the cattle were sourced from, the majority were sourced from other kind of local dairy farms. So about 70, 78% of, of them were sourced from other dairy farms. We had some that were sourced directly from a sales barn, only about 15%. And then some that were sourced from like a drover cattle buyer. When we look at kind of where the animals came from, most of them came from Ontario. About 93% came from, um, you know, locally within the province with only about 9, nine animals and, and 11 animals coming from Quebec and the United States, respectively. We also did kind of a little kind of questionnaire to ask, um, you know, did these producers purchase any animals within the past five years? And of those that, that uh, responded to this, this survey or, or submitted samples to the lab, 90% of them had purchased animals in the past five years. So quite a high uh, number did uh, purchase within the past five years. We also did some beef animals as well, not as 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 uh, many as the as the dairy cattle, but thirty one beef cattle were tested from five different commercial dairy farms. And similar to the um, to the dairy uh, testing, fifty eight percent of them were from Ontario, so most of the animals tested were from Ontario, with only thirteen with only sorry thirteen beef cattle coming from outside of Ontario.
0: So we had a really great response to the project, which was fantastic. A lot of uh, veterinarians and their producers were able to take advantage of the opportunity to do some testing. Let's talk about what we found. And maybe let's start with the dairy cattle, because we have a much larger group of dairy cattle. But what were the findings for disease in that group? Yeah, so I think
1: the interesting findings were just kind of buyer beware. I think that was kind of the main takeaway is that whenever you're purchasing in, in animals, it's always that you could bring in some of these main diseases, infectious diseases of concern. So of the 321 animals that we tested in this project, uh, 42% um, of animals were positive for one or more pathogens. And when we break it down by specific pathogens, about 40% were positive for leucosis, 2% were positive for Yoni's disease, um, 1% or only 4 animals were positive for seminal debilin. And we did have a few that were positive on the ELISA test for anaplasmosis, but when we followed up with uh, doing PCR testing, uh, they were all negative. So we had three that were positive on the antibody test, but all of them were were negative on the follow-up PCR test, kind of indicating that we might have had some false positives.
0: And on the beef side, we only had, we had such a small number of beef cattle that were tested in the project, so we we didn't really get an accurate representation of of what was introduced with those animals, but it is interesting to know that of them or 11 out of those 31 of the beef cattle were positive for bovine leukosis virus as well. And two of the cattle that were purchased um, from outside of Canada, from the USA were positive for anaplasmosis. And those ones were positive both on the ELISA, the antibody test and the PCR test um, indicating a active, more current infection and a, a true positive so that was really interesting I thought on the beef cattle side yeah I agree I think
1: it's it's interesting to see that that uh, we're still getting quite a bit of BLV in those animals and even that we had the the positive cases for anaplasmosis as well I think that's quite interesting it again speaks to that whole buyer beware kind of thing you have to be pretty I, I, yeah you have to be fairly worried about purchasing infectious diseases into into your herd when you're buying animals.
0: I also found it interesting that prior to purchasing, the majority of producers purchased without doing any type of disease screening, and most had purchased previously. Yeah, I think that's a a fairly big risk
1: factor. When you look at a lot of the literature that's been done in terms of infectious disease transmission, most kind of identify that Either purchasing animals in is you know, the biggest risk factor because these animals are carriers of this disease, but also on herds that didn't pr- um, do pre-purchase testing or test the animals before they're introduced into the herd, also led to uh, you know an increased risk of being positive for BLV or Yonis or other diseases. So I think you know considering at least per- at least doing some testing before their purchase can be a really good. Um, management practice to really reduce the risk of bringing on these new diseases into your herd and, and really re- wreaking havoc in your herd because it, all it takes is for one animal with Seminole Dublin, for example, to really cause a, a really significant problem, um, within your herd. And I think, I think you did a previous podcast, right, Cynthia, Seminole Dublin.
0: Yeah, we have, we've done a couple, um, Seminole Dublin podcasts, um, maybe not for Owen, but, um, probably we should do one for Owen next. Yeah, probably not a bad idea. <laughs> let's let's talk about Salmonella Dublin a little bit more. Then, what do you think we learned in this study about Salmonella Dublin? Because we didn't find very much, and that was a little bit surprising to me.
1: I don't know if I was tremendously surprised that we had a low number, like with only four being positive. Um, if we look kind of elsewhere, I think I think in Quebec, certainly they have a seems like they have a little bit higher level of, of salmonella seminal Dublin within their, within their herds. Um, currently, uh, Dave Kelton in, in the department of population medicine at what we see is doing a, a bulk tank surveillance study where he's going to go out and um, do surveillance on all the bulk tank milk samples that are collected in Ontario just to see where we're at in terms of the number of positive herds for seminal Dublin. But I think that that number is still low. And I think it's, it's encouraging that it's still low because it means we can still do something to prevent it from becoming as common as let's say leucosis or yoni's disease so yeah i think i think it's it's good it's still low i think it's it it is, does still show that when you're purchasing in animals that you can buy in salmonell dublin which again can can have really substantial impacts on your herd um but yeah
0: all right well that was one of the two like diseases of i mean we had four diseases of interest but we really wanted to get some more testing done for Salmonella dublin and the other one was anaplasmosis and i think that one's interesting too we mentioned how we had some animals you know positive on an ELISA, negative on a pcr it's it was really a challenge to to do that testing we did find that the majority of cattle purchased were negative for anaplasmosis, which is which is good. This isn't a test that was being run a ton in Ontario prior to the project. The risk, I think, is greater. We saw when purchasing animals from outside of Ontario, um, such as the animals that came in from the US that that were were positive. We do know those tests aren't perfect and veterinarians have to probably do some work to interpret them accurately in these, in these animals So that and, and they may need to do a, a confirmatory test sometimes to kind of help get a great picture of the um, health of those animals. So I thought that that was a lesson for me from this project for sure about looking carefully at these test results and, and working through to understand them. What do you
1: think is the best testing strategy for
0: anaplasmosis? I think if you're purchasing animals from outside of uh, Canada, definitely, and and even from outside of Ontario, because we do get sporadic cases across Canada, um, I think the PCR test is um, a very reliable test um, to indicate Infection. And we just actually did a podcast with uh, Dr. Catherine Reif, um, and she gives some good testing information there on on anaplasmosis. But I think you can be very comfortable with the PCR result. And it's uh, widely available now. So that's, and and you can, if you have multiple animals, they can be pooled as well into one sample. Um, They can test a pool at a time with very good um, accuracy. So that's another helpful tip in terms of the cost-effectiveness of testing.
1: Yeah, especially when you're buying multiple animals from the United States, it's a good way to save costs.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Um, let's talk about BLV and Yonis. I mean, these are diseases that are already common in Ontario, and we found a lot of BLV. Yeah,
1: yeah I think <laughs> with BLV, I think it's pretty common. I think if you look in across Canada um, on some recent surveillance studies, I think it was with you know 80 percent of herds are positive, having you know at least one animal that that um, is positive for BLV on their herd. So it's really really common in the dairy industry, and you know it's not a surprise that we found that forty percent po- of cows that we tested in this project were positive because again it's really really common out there. Um, I think obviously you know it it has tremendous risk to bring in BLV into your herd. Not only does it cause you know clinical. Leukosis, where the cows go down or they, you know, have tumors that are growing in different kind of areas in, in the cow's body. But also it's, it's been shown to impact um, uh, resistance to disease or even response to, to vaccination and also some associations with reduced milk production. So when you have BLV come into your herd, it can cause all of those different impacts. Um, the nice thing is, is when you're doing or when you're testing for BLV, the test that we use is really, really, really reliable. So, if you take some samples before you're purchasing animals, you can rely very comfortably with that test that it's going to be accurate. So, if you know if you you know the animal's negative because you've done a, a, a pre-test or purchase uh, prior to purchase, you've done a test, um, you know it's fairly accurate and that animal's not bringing in that disease into your herd.
0: Agreed. I think that is. Um... An easy one to justify doing before purchasing animals, and a, a good, um, a reasonable uh, goal to try to reduce our prevalence of of BLV in herds. And one of the things with um, with that with the number that we got in the project being around forty percent, and which kind of aligns with the um, greater dairy population zero conversion can be delayed so there could be some animals even that zero converted after the uh test time that they were t- uh, tested so they could have been negative at the time of testing and positive later too yeah and that's
1: that's certainly a a potential risk when you're when they seroconvert zero convert after they're purchased um yeah, that's always a risk when they're exposed prior to, uh, to to them coming in but I think at the age that that some of the, these animals are coming in at hopefully it's it's fairly accurate and representative of the animals that you're purchasing in
0: yep and then the last one we did was yonis let's talk about yonis <laughs> testing yeah I guess it
1: was a little bit surprising that we had such low level of, of yonis um I don't know you think Cynthia I know that there's definitely some difficulties with testing and and you know a lot more about the test stuff than I do.
0: Well, I don't know that I know more, Dave, but anyway, uh, (laughs) I think about it frequently. I think the challenges was just such a long incubation period with Yoni's disease. Um, and Yoni's tests definitely aren't perfect. They do suffer from a lack of sensitivity. And so we do have to very carefully interpret negative results, especially in individual animals, um, it does not, that negative result might not necessarily mean the animal's not infected. Definitely, or especially when we have animals purchased on the younger side, right around that two years of age mark, the chances of us being able to detect infection at that age are low. Um, And in the older animals, you might have a better chance. But so I, I think it's quite possible that this study and it probably did underestimate the number of Yoni's positive um, purchased animals. Um, but we, we definitely, I think if you have a positive result, are um, going to take note of that um, when you are purchasing animals. Um, and probably it's really important to know the herd of purchase and just know their herd status for yonis rather than being as focused on an individual test would you agree with that yeah i
1: agree what would you say if you had to do an individual test on an animal what would
0: you what would you pick i think well i think there's an opportunity for the fecal pcr here as as well um it does have a slightly higher sensitivity um, at the individual animal um, but whenever you're dealing with non-clinical animals it's none of the tests are going to be as um, as good so I would um, consider the fecal PCR probably um, and I would really want to know about the herd and know what they're doing to if they're doing regular herd testing and what the status of the herd is. Do we have a good sense if a lot of producers are purchasing cattle? What do you think, Dave? Yeah,
1: I think we have a good sense from a bunch of the research that's been published lately. Um, From the National Dairy Study, which was done in 2015, where they surveyed about 1,000 producers across Canada, there's only about 41% of those that responded to the survey um, that didn't add cattle or have cattle return to the herd after being away. So I think that kind of suggests that the majority of Canadian dairy farms really aren't closed and they're bringing in animals on a regular basis. And even from the lactanate data um, that Dave Kelton was nice enough to pull uh, for us, he he kind of mentioned or the lactanate data showed that in Ontario, about 4,600 cows moved into uh, 900 different herds that were participating in, in uh, milk recording services in 2020. And again, just suggesting that there's lots of cows moving in and out of herds in Ontario, and I think it's it's quite common that that producers are purchasing in animals.
0: Yeah, it is, I think showing it is really common. and you know we might recommend closed herds as being the best for biosecurity, but producers are going to always have reasons to be purchasing. Animals as well. Yeah, I think there's
1: always reasons no. for bringing in animals, whether it's you need more replacements or new genetics in the herd. But I think I think there's ways that you can avoid kind of bringing in these these high risk anim, high risk animals into your herd, like that are going to be positive for these different infectious diseases, whether it's leukosis or Salmonella. And I think there's you know lots of value to kind of picking the right herd that you're purchasing from. So if you really need to buy in animals, I think you know finding that herd that's negative for these particular diseases is really important. So, you know, maybe doing a bulk tank milk test of these, some of these herds right off the bat, just to see, you know, are they positive for any of the d- diseases. I think also if you if you can, before you're buying them, uh, to test them, just to make sure that they're negative for these particular diseases, but obviously that might not always be possible. So uh, trying to test them And then when they arrive to your herd and then quarantine them from the rest of the herd is a a good way that you could potentially reduce the risk of them transmitting it to other animals in your herd. Um, But also, I think, you know, beyond just buying in animals, there's definitely other ways to introduce new genetics, like whether it's embryo transfer, putting in embryos into, you know, maybe into heifers or or first lactation cows, or maybe long term, you know, using different strategies like sex semen to increase the number of replacements that you have in your herd so that you can really maintain that closed herd, which is really the gold standard for for biosecurity.
0: All good things for us to be thinking about. I agree. Dave, I want to thank you for joining me today and for all your work on this project. I think it was a really nice opportunity for veterinarians to facilitate some of this testing for clients. And one of the most rewarding things for me has to been hearing from veterinarians where producers did it for the project and have done it again of their own initiative now for um, subsequent purchases even though the project has wrapped up so it's nice to see um, good practices living on as a result of the of the project. I want to take a moment to acknowledge some of the other people who worked on this project with Dave and I, uh, Dr. Jessica Gordon and Dr. David Kelton from OVC, Uh, Dave's student, uh, Natalia Savar, who helped with some of the data management and analysis, the animal health laboratory um, staff for facilitating all the testing, and, and Jim Fairley's there for coordinating that, and all the veterinarians and producers that submitted samples to the project for us to get a sense of some of these practices and risks and, uh, and some, summarize those up and learn from them. So a big thanks to all those people for all their work. Next up, we have Dr. Rebecca Egan from the Animal Health Laboratory to give us an update on the laboratory data over the last three months.
2: Thanks, Cynthia. So there were 156 bovine pathology submissions between May and July of 2021, uh, so in that quarter. Uh, First, I'm gonna start off with salmonella. So in total, we had about 178 bovine submissions that had bacterial culture performed, uh, excluding the milk samples. Um, From this, uh, we had salmonella isolated from uh, 19 submissions and this represented about 12 premises. Of this, Salmonella Dublin was isolated uh, from 11 samples, and these represented approximately six premises uh, in comparison to last quarter where we had six uh, Salmonella Dublin isolates, and that was um, from a single premises. Uh, The primary findings associated with isolation of Salmonella Dublin are are what we typically see, so Salmonella and uh, often uh, with a concurrent pneumonia or enterocolitis. Uh, And then uh, some of the other salmonella isolates that we had this quarter included uh, salmonella typhimurium var Copenhagen and then also salmonella Uganda, Ciro, and Heidelberg, uh, and those also uh, typically we were seeing um, enteric disease. And on that note, I just want to point out um, that uh, also what we have in the um, reports uh, for this quarter, there's uh, outlines of the new salmonella Dublin resources that have become available. Um, so it is an emerging threat uh, in cattle across Canada, and the own bovine uh, bovine network highlights lab cases quarterly, uh, like through through things like this uh, to keep producers and veterinarians aware of the risk. Uh, so uh, Owen is very pleased to highlight new resources available for producers and veterinarians, uh, and these were produced by the Vl Farmers of Ontario. So the available resources include five fact sheets, four case studies, uh, and a podcast on. Um, how to recognize uh, Salmonella Dublin, uh, the human health impacts, prevention, uh, control, and much more. So you can check those out uh, at the website, which is calfcare.ca slash Dublin. Uh, so moving on next to just more general stuff. So enteric disease, enteritis was the most common diagnosis as it typically is in, in young calves and the infectious causes uh, were, were pretty typical as well. So again, We've got the rotavirus, coronavirus, uh, coccidiosis, and crypto, uh, and then um, concurrent salmonella uh, infection in a few cases as well. Uh, in mature cattle, uh, there was a case of enteritis with embolic hepatitis uh, caused by salmonella typhimurium. So, we, it, you know, keeping an eye on uh, mature cattle uh, with, with salmonella being something that, that can uh, occur with, with them as well. Uh, next, respiratory disease, again, pretty standard quarter. Um, in general, if we were seeing uh, diagnosis of, of pneumonia um, in cattle over two months of age, uh, the most typical uh, etiologies were BRSV, uh, pastorella maltosida, and mycoplasma bovis. And then similarly uh, in young cattle, we we had a couple cases, uh, and pastorella and mycoplasma were um, detected in those cases. And then the dominant etiology for pneumonia in mature cattle, as it as it often is, um, was Mannheimia hemolytica type two. Now, uh, next up for abortion, so we had uh, twenty submissions for abortion investigations this this quarter. Uh, majority of those being dairy for at this time of year. So we had about seventeen dairy and three beef. And again, typical. Uh, presumptive or definitive diagnosis was achieved in about 50% of cases with the infectious causes identified uh, being bacterial, including uh, streptococ- streptococcus pleurianomelium, uh, neospora, and uh, bovine herpesvirus virus type 1. Okay, next up with the uh, BVD update, so bovine viral diarrhea virus, this quarter we did about 300 PCR tests, uh, of which there were 12 positive tests. And these were generally identified as part of uh, routine herd screening. And finally, um, this quarter, we had um, a diagnostic investigation of uh, sudden death in three dry dairy cows. Uh, so this was an interesting one, uh, and it is a, a case of toxicosis. So ultimately, these deaths were attributed to ingestion of you shrub clippings. So, the yew plant is a species of the genus Taxus, and it's actually a commonly grown ornamental shrub, so Japanese yew, English yew, Canadian yew. Uh, And the needles and seeds of these plants are highly poisonous, and that's because they contain a number of toxic alkaloids, including taxines A and B, and these affect the heart. So, these alkaloids inhibit normal sodium and calcium exchange uh, across cardiomyocytes, which leads to a depression in the electrical conduction uh, and ultimately leading to uh, fatal arrhythmias. Clinically, this typically presents a sudden death, often within two to three hours of ingestion of a plant, uh, and a consumption in, of as little as 1 to 10 grams per kilogram of body weight uh, in ruminants is lethal. So. Uh, with this in mind, um, it's important to remember that livestock are accidentally poisoned, uh, you know, when you trimmings or wreaths or um, anything that uh, they have access to, you know, over a fence is easily accessible. So uh, it's important to, to remember to make sure that we don't um, have access to U to plant in, in ruminants or other, other species as well because because of the toxicity. And if you uh, would like to get more information about that, you can see a fact sheet on the omafra.gov website uh, entitled, Ewe Poisoning in Horses and Ruminants.
0: Thanks for joining us today for this bovine Owen update. For more information and for veterinary and producer quarterly reports, check out our website at owen.ca.